way that sport has impacted um, different demographics differently. It's, it's going to require a lot of intentionality to ensure that the return to sport is equitable and creates something more equitable than what we were seeing prior to COVID. All right, so welcome everyone. Good morning, afternoon, or evening from wherever you are and wherever you're tuning in uh, to today's podcast from. So I'm Mitch McSweeney, and along with Jess Nachman and Julia Ferrer-Gomez, who are co-interviewing today, we'd like to welcome you to the Sport, Social Justice, and Development podcast. And so for those of you who have been listening to the previous episodes, you know that uh, this podcast, we aim to critically explore the utility of sport and other forms of physical activity, recreation, and leisure around the world for development pursuits. And so to do this, we've been talking with um, and engaging in in-depth conversations with practitioners, researchers, organizational staff, and, and participants involved with sports, social justice, and development programs. So today, we're really excited. We'll be talking with Marika Warner, who is the Director of Research and Evaluation at Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment Launchpad located in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And so Launchpad is a part of the MLSE Foundation operations, um, and we'll kind of go more into that. Launchpad is also a sport for development facility for youth facing barriers in downtown Toronto and MLSE's largest community and charitable investment. So Marika's expertise and interests include physical literacy, child and youth resilience, transformative evaluation, and the intersections of sport and politics, including corporate social responsibility and professional sport. And Marika is also a retired dancer and a mom of one. So thanks for joining us today, Marika. We're excited to chat with you. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, thanks. And, you know, we're, we're also very excited for this episode because um, we've talked mostly with bicycles related development organizations. So this is our first kind of venture into talking more about sport for development. And of course, you know, Launchpad, especially for us here in Toronto, um, we know the impact it has. And so that's why we're really excited to be talking with you. So I'm going to hand it over to Jess and Julia to start us off with the interview questions and looking forward to chatting. Thanks again, Marika. I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about what Launchpad actually does and how you yourself became interested in working with MLSE. Yeah, of course. So we use a sport for development approach. We provide programming services and other types of supports to youth facing barriers who are from the age of six to 29. And we also work really hard to bridge the gap between research and practice in sport for development and sort of act as a living lab to pilot and explore and refine new theories and tools and interventions and practices in sport for development. And my journey to MLSC uh, is a, a long and winding one. So I started off, as Mitch mentioned, in the professional dance world. So that's sort of, you know, where my love and passion for physical activity really comes in, and also my recognition of the impact that sport engagement can have for youth. Um, so did that, also did a physiotherapy degree, um, you know, thinking that that would be a career that would be compatible with also dancing. Um, so did that for quite a while in um, a variety of different settings and did a lot of pediatric practice when I was working as a physiotherapist. So kind of developed a lot of that expertise in terms of doing research with young people. And then uh, I left the hospital world, I guess, around 2014 
uh, to work in the community health center setting. So, you know, this is where my politics and my career sort of started to merge, where I was able to approach physiotherapy in a, like from a population health or public health perspective, which I had never really been able to do before. I had always been in sort of, you know, conventional settings where care is provided one-to-one. Uh, so started piloting a lot of group interventions, chronic pain groups, you know, a group for folks with hepatitis C who had certain physical activity needs, um, culturally specific groups for different groups that I was serving um, in Regent Park. So that's where I really started to get that population health approach, um, using physical activity, and also really got embedded in the downtown east end of Toronto and what was happening in terms of sport and physical activity in that part of the city. So then I heard about the job through a colleague at Regent Park Community Health Center, and I just just had to apply. Um, I, I think, you know, my mind is really more of a research mind than it is a practitioner mind. Uh, so I've been, have not looked back and just really, you know, thrilled that this incredible role actually exists, you know, that a sport for development organization determined that it was, you know, necessary to have a, a research and evaluation team embedded. Uh, that's something pretty special about Launchpad. What kind of development goals does Launchpad actually have? And how can you explain development in a more conceptualized way, implementing it through Launchpad? Okay, yeah. So, you know, I would look to our theory of change, our ultimate impact statement, which is like a vision statement. And that ultimate impact statement is MLSC Launchpad uses sport to help youth facing barriers recognize and reach their full potential. So really identifying, you know, the focus of who we serve uh, and we define youth facing barriers. Uh, we have some, it's not, you know, a strict criteria, but that includes black youth, indigenous youth and other racialized youth, girls and young women, youth from low income households, youth in care or leaving care, youth with disabilities, youth who are in conflict with the law uh, to as LGBTQ youth. So quite a, a broad definition there. Uh, and then, you know, that ultimate impact statement also really identifies the primary how of what we do, which is using sport uh, and the goals, which is to help youth that we serve to recognize and reach their potential. So our long term intended outcomes are increased sport participation, uh, increased academic engagement and community engagement, and also increased employment. Uh, and that varies, obviously, depending on what age group we're talking about. Uh, but a lot of the elements of what we offer address those objectives, I would say, using a more individualistic approach. But we also do recognize the multiple systemic obstacles that do stand in the way of the youth that we serve. And our approach also includes advocacy efforts. And that's a new thing um, over the past year that we've really moved into that space. Um, we recognize that we need to do work that's intended to actually dismantle those oppressive systems and create structural changes that are going to better support positive youth outcomes than the current power structure. Yeah, that sounds like a, ma a massive task. Um, even just, you know, trying to tie in sport with um, increased academic achievement. And I was curious about how Launchpad actually does, what sort of role does sport play in being able to achieve those development goals? And I don't know if you wanted to speak about the um, Moss Park community that Launchpad works with as an example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So Moss Park, you know, really vibrant, interesting, diverse community, uh, a lot of poverty, uh, highest concentration of shelters and homelessness in the can the country of Canada. Um, so, you know, a lot of challenges that we're dealing with, a lot, you know, high rates of crime, a lot of um, uh, drug related activity. So a lot of need um, for supports and services. Uh, but, you know, how does sport really play a role in that community? It's 
for sure been an outlet for a long time, you know, pre-launchpad, uh, stress relief, just like burning off some energy for kids that spend a lot of time in small apartments, uh, really a form of self-expression for youth who can, you know, who, who love sport and can improve their game and, and use that as a way to sort of build their own personal identity and self-expression. Uh, it's also a big community builder, a unifier, a point of pride for the community. And that, you know, has a lot to do with um, some of the brands that we stand under, right? The Toronto Raptors, Toronto Maple Leafs, Toronto FC. Um, we have a Toronto Argo um, player who is actually retired now, but working in the front office for the Argos, who grew up in the Toronto Community Housing Building that's on top of Launchpad. So it's sort of this real point of pride and it builds, has Launchpad and sport in general in the community have built this sense of, of, of pride and community succession, I think. Um, it's also a public health support. You know, we know we're aware of all the public health outcomes that sport for development programming can have, uh, and in a community that is in need due to, you know, impact of social determinants of health, this community is really in need of powerful public health interventions. So sport can act as that as well. Um, and then just a window to possibility. I think what we offer through sport, you know, has exposed youth to just a range of social connections, career ideas, possibilities for community engagement. Uh, so, you know, you can think of it as a window, we call it a launch pad, but it's just sort of a jumping off point for whatever else youth want to explore from there. And, and it, yeah, okay, one more thing, my brain's catching up with me, but sorry, in the way that we design programming sport, depending on the program, it can be the primary uh, focus of activity, the sort of the primary objective to get youth active and engaged in sport, or it can be sort of secondary and act more like as a hook um, but we see it both as a hook and as a context for, you know, achieving the positive youth developments that we're after. Absolutely. I wanted to go back on what you said earlier about, you know, that c contributing to dismantling power structures and because our current, you know, system doesn't work for a lot of youth. And um, wanted to ask you how you see sport contributing to social justice work. I think you just touched on that a bit specifically for Launchpad, but I, I think sport for development has a lot of critiques about not being able to do those things. And so, uh, yeah, I wanted your own opinion on how that might contribute to anti-racism work, um, even gender equity work or any sort of social justice work. Yeah, it's such an interesting question and so much to say on this topic. So, you know, I think it's been a huge topic of discussion too amongst our team, particularly amongst like myself and my black colleagues who, as we're seeing what's going on in the world and we're asking ourselves like, okay, we're working in sport. Is this the place to be if we really want to impact this issue on a systemic level, right? And I stand by yes. Uh, I think that sport has huge potential to, to impact, um, you know, what's happening in terms of anti-racist work um, through, because, you know, money talks and there's a ton of money in sport. So I think I see a lot of potential there in terms of professional sport and the leagues and the teams making decisions that can be actually quite impactful on even like a global scale in terms of combating anti-Black racism. And I think, um, you know, our organization now, we're stepping into the advocacy space around anti-Black racism. And I think we do have a big role to play there, just sort of with the credibility that that we have in the community, and particularly uh, when it comes to advocacy on issues that are really closely related to our work and our objectives. So let's say we're advocating for more green space downtown so that you know youth are not locked in their apartments um, all the time when we have a lockdown. Um, those types of advocacy, or you know, uh, we we program under four pillars, right? Healthy body, healthy mind, ready for school, ready for work. So in that sense, we've sort of got 
by doing that work and working with the organizations that are leading in those spaces for the past several years, we sort of have developed that permission to lead in those spaces. So we can step into advocacy around the education system, around mental health, um, around, you know, aspects of public health, um, and we, around youth employment, right? And we've sort of done the work uh, that we can actually sort of step into that space without it being sort of superficial or um, a flash in the pan. Um, yeah, so I am continuing to bet on sport as a, a strong contender in like how we can make this change that we want to see. And then in terms of gender, uh, lots to say there too. I mean, I think the gender binary nature of most sports and how sports are organized has really actually forced our sector to have a lot of those gender equity conversations, to ask a lot of those questions as a matter of process. Um, although obviously there's a lot of powerful voices in sport that are not supporting women athletes and that are denying the rights of trans athletes uh, to exist in the sports space, like that is happening, but the conversations are happening, although we have voices on both sides. The conversation has to happen just as a nature of like what we do in sport. So I think in that sense, sport is often a bit out ahead of the crowd. Um, you know, sports teams were integrated racially long before the rest of society was, before other professions were. And it does continue to be part of leading movements for social justice, racial justice, and feminism. Uh, I would like to see more, of course, but I think the positive changes within the sport industry and that the sport industry has led to uh, through ripple effects are, are quite evident. Um, so, yeah. You know, as Launchpad moves more and more into the advocacy space, it'll be really interesting to see what we can achieve as a sport for development organization that's quite well networked within different sectors. Yeah, I love what you said about um, just sport being now the platform for this kind of conversation and where it's so popular, everyone engages in it. It's it's on Twitter, it's on all social media, right? So yeah, that's super important. And, and thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thanks, Marika, again. Um, something specifically you said that really stood out to me was um, sport leading movements. And we actually noticed that sport is only one of the several types of programs that uh, the Launchpad offered. And so we were wondering in what ways do these programs, whether it be in a classroom setting or nutrition counseling, how does that connect with sport for development programming? Oh, for sure. Okay, so those things we think of as wraparound supports. Um, so just they're just necessary to sort of hold a youth in uh, the space that they need to be to be physically safe, psychologically safe. That's why we offer these services like counseling in our own space uh, to sort of remove the stigma of having to and the barriers of having to access mental health support elsewhere. Uh, food supports are huge uh, and really, uh, you know, food security is a precursor to any of the positive outcomes that we're looking at. So that's really important. And then also things like homework help. Just uh, it's all about reducing barriers. The youth that we serve, we don't see them as vulnerable, but we do see them as facing extreme barriers to being able to recognize and reach their full potential. And we work to break down those barriers to using all those different tactics that I just mentioned. So, you know, part of that work to break down barriers is offering concrete supports that meet immediate needs. And um, the intended outcomes of those wraparound services like counseling and nutrition and homework health club, um, those outcomes really correlate with and support the bigger outcomes that we're looking for. Um, those additional resources that we provide are also really closely informed by the needs and wants of the community. So we're doing what we're hearing the community needs um, and we're constantly assessing that need using a bunch of different methods. Thank you, Marika. I think it's, uh, like you said, really important to have the participants be active members in creating these programs. So it's great to hear that you guys are really listening to the voices of those participating. 
So I think you mentioned earlier the the pandemic. You had briefly alluded to it, and um, it's been over a year now that a lot of programming has forced to go virtual. And we were just wondering how how has the shift been for Launchpad um, on, to have to go online now? Yeah, it's definitely been challenging, hugely challenging, just in terms of planning. Like, but just before I got on this call, I was working on our budget for our new fiscal year, which starts July 1st. So just the number of scenarios and the number of different plans that you need to create, it's, it's a, a lot. And it's definitely a drain on capacity uh, that people are spending a ton of time on all these contingency plans for contingency plans. And that's time and energy that's not going into, you know, strategy or programming or curriculum, right? So that's unfortunate. Um, but I think a lot of challenges we faced uh, are around engagement. So engagement has definitely been a struggle this year, and that's just for a lot of reasons. Um, youth, you know, are already getting too much screen time uh, through school and don't want to be on a screen again at night um, or on the weekend. Motivation is poor, and that's, you know, we get that. So I think trying to make youth attend a virtual program is like trying to ram a square pig in a round hole, and it's not something that we're trying to do. Um, space and um, access to devices are big issues too. That's probably the number one thing we hear when we ask our members, you know, why they aren't attending virtual programming. It's motivation and then it's space. Like people are living in small apartments with large families and it's really challenging to find that private space to participate. Um, and then uh, we've seen a real difference actually. So we kind of have sport plus and plus sport programming, which is like sport for development terminology, right? So plus sport, um, it's looking at a different social outcome, uh, like an employment related outcome, education or mental wellness related outcome, for example, typical at, at Launchpad. Um, and the sport is used to further those types of social outcomes, whereas in sport plus, sport is the primary activity, the primary context. You know, it's about getting youth active and physically literate. Um, so the plus sport programming we've seen be able to sort of continue much stronger with better engagement. And that makes sense because the youth are primarily there because they want to get those employment outcomes or education related outcomes or mental wellness related outcomes, right? Uh, sport plus, it's much harder to sort of achieve the outcomes that the youth want in the virtual context. Um, in terms of like what we've learned over the COVID times, I think the biggest thing has been uh, that we can sort of reach outside of our walls and into the homes of our members and we can impact, you know, outcomes within that family, like through some of the programming that we're doing, we're engaging entire families now, youth that are younger than six that we wouldn't typically serve in the facility, older siblings or, or other relatives who are living in the home who are, you know, above 29, who we wouldn't typically serve in the facility, parents, um, we've really been able to reach into the home and have some bigger outcomes than we have in the past in that sense. So that's cool. Um, and then I think just the reach and the effectiveness and the flexibility of our ready for work programs has really been underlined by the pandemic as well at a time when, you know, the need for youth employment opportunities and youth employment programs is greater than ever. These programs have really been able to thrive and actually to grow uh, just because there's so much need and so much interest. Uh, and we've been able to pivot those programs to, to train youth around industries that have been resilient to the pandemic. Um, so with tons of uptake there and those programs, you know, in a lot of ways are operating better virtually than they ever did in person. Wow. It's really interesting to hear that they could possibly be operating even better than they were in person, especially with what you were saying about space confinement and all the other issues that participants are having. Um, and thinking about those issues, how would uh, Launchpad promote safety for their participants through online programming? Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's definitely a challenge. I mean, I would say 
we do one-to-one check-in phone calls. So it's not, we're just seeing youth in Zoom programs. We're talking to them as well outside of that. So that kind of gives a one-to-one opportunity to, to share, to open up, to ask for any resources that they might not feel comfortable asking for in a group context. Um, and then I think, you know, we've, we've done a lot of work to provide accessible information on online privacy to our members and to our families so that they're sort of getting that information directly from us, which we, you know, we're a trusted source in the community. So those are a few things. Um, and then I think just our general youth first always approach uh, applying that to our virtual programs. So, you know, we are always asking ourselves, uh, who are we making this decision for if it's not in the best interest of the youth, it's not something that we're going to do. So just really being very rigorous and conscious about how we apply our values to our virtual programming space. Uh, you know, there can be a lot of pressure at this time on Sport for Development organizations to reach like thousands of youth through virtual programs. Funders, sponsors are asking like, well, you're in the virtual space now. Why can't you have, you know, hundreds and thousands of participants? And that's not always the best call to make. So uh, we have to be quite quite rigorous about how we make uh, programming decisions that are going to keep youth safe and engaged. Interesting. Thank you so much for sharing that, Marika, and giving us a bit more insight on like strategies that Launchpad is using to uh, create a safe space for youth and, you know, like their families at large, as you were saying, it's uh, going past the individual and families are getting involved too, which is great to hear. Yeah. I just want to jump in quick to ask too. Um, Marika, you mentioned like partners and like partner expectations and stuff. I'm wondering with, you know, the initial kind of lockdowns and stuff, how did you navigate those partnerships and now moving forward, um, just in terms of, you know, working with partners and maybe expectations or trying to move online? Yeah. So, you know, we responded really quickly to COVID by April, we were up and running with our virtual programming and our online programming hub. So I think a lot of it was really trying to get ahead of partners because we did anticipate that, that some of our funders would come back and say, well, I guess sports off for this year, give us our money back kind of thing. Right. So by showing them before they even came to us asking for their money back by showing them that we were already doing a bunch of stuff in the virtual space, we had started to provide our family food programming where we're sending out food and you know providing programming alongside that we had a, a very comprehensive COVID response strategy that included, you know, physical activity, food security, a whole range of different interventions. Uh, so I think that was one way of getting ahead of it. And yeah, it was a lot of pivoting. It was a lot of having to reallocate dollars that, you know, um, different partners had been promised, okay, you're going to get a basketball league with your name on it for this donation or whatever, um, determining what else we could do with those funds to make good on the partnership, um, which has been really smooth. Honestly, on the corporate side, we've been able to retain all of our dollars um, by, you know, putting partner money on different interventions. Uh, the research side has actually been more challenging because, you know, there's just so much rigor around, well, we gave you this money to do this very specific research project. If you can't do it, you need to give us the money back um, with, with a little bit more um, strictness, I guess, in the, on the research side than on the corporate side. Yeah, thanks. I think that's so interesting that like the research side is more challenging, but I can definitely see how with like, okay, we were doing in-person interviews. Now let's move to online and try and do all this online research. I think, you know, there's a lot of factors that play into that, but, um, but yeah, I just find it interesting because I think a lot of the impact of COVID to me has been about innovation too. Like you said, like your, you know, Launchpad was really proactive and took steps mm-hmm. to kind of handle the the lockdowns and stuff. So um, just interesting to me in those ways, but, um, but yeah, I'll, I'll hand it back to Jess. Thanks, Marika. Well, you, we were talking about funding and, and research, and I imagine that you do 
that's where the funding comes from. You need to prove that, um, yeah, that the money is going to certain places. So uh, we did have some questions on the actual role, like your role as director of research and evaluation and the importance of research. Could you speak to the importance of research within MLSE and sport for development programs more broadly? Yeah, it's really vital to what we do, definitely, I think, in the field um, to ensure that we are achieving an ascending standard of excellence, that we're always getting better uh, so that we can learn more about the impact of what we do. Like, I think the impact of sport for development is still pretty poorly defined. So we're trying to do that work to, to better define what sport for development can achieve. Um, and also to increase the positive outcomes that we're able to realize. Uh, you know, we use sort of an insight to action model where we're using pre-program, mid-program, post-program results to iterate the program uh, and really in- improve the outcomes that we're getting, not just for future youth, but for the actual youth that are currently in the program. Um, and also to improve charitable returns on investment alongside that as sort of a secondary benefit of, of improving the outcomes. Uh, we're also definitely trying to generate learnings that can be utilized externally for the rest of the sector. We have a huge luxury of high capacity at our organization. We, by nature of you know who our parent company is, you know, impact of COVID-19 on the sport industry, notwithstanding, we are very uh, fortunate in that we're financially stable as a sport for development organization with a large corporate parent. Uh, so based on that, we have a real responsibility as MLSC Launchpad to learn all that we can and to share all that we can in this like very well-resourced sort of living lab that we are so lucky to have. So your research, you would disseminate that to be available for other programs as well? Definitely, yeah, in a bunch of different ways. So we do publish um, in academic context. We do an annual research to practice symposiums. Actually, we did two this past year uh, just because there were so many hot topics in sport for development coming up. And we felt like we were learning a lot about how to deliver sport for development virtually. So we put on an event to share some learnings around that. and we've got a second research to practice event coming up this spring that's more around building back better. And uh, yeah, how can we build sport for development, youth sport, community sport back better in the wake of the pandemic uh, with more of a focus on creating inclusive spaces for uh, participants. Yeah, thank you again, Marika. I just want to build on how you uh, talked about sport for development. There are so many goals and different things that sport for development can achieve. So how does Launchpad then, how can they tell if a program is successful or it needs work since sport for development has so many dimensions? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, And, you know, I think I would first look at sort of what you would think of as the process data, right? So do you register? If they do register, do they attend the program? And then from there, what's the engagement like? Are they enjoying themselves? Are they, you know, engaging uh, in the program the way that we want them to or the way that we hope they will? So that's sort of the first piece. Then the second layer is outcomes. Like we do have a primary and a secondary outcome attached to all of our programs. So that could be something like um, physical activity level and physical literacy or you know, self-esteem and leadership in the example of one of our girls' leadership camps or employment and social capital in the example of like a ready-for-work program. So looking at, did we achieve the outcomes that we're looking at? And we do, even in program evaluation, we apply sort of a research level rigor to how we analyze those outcomes. So, you know, we're all up in the stats um, looking for statistical significance in program evaluation too, uh, which we recognize is sort of one piece of it, right? So then there's uh, the qualitative side, right? So um, we're, we always use a mixed methods approach in our program evaluation and our research. Um, 
just about always. There's a couple examples where it's been strictly qualitative, never strictly quantitative. Um, so we will throw in sort of qualitative challenges into the program that are intended to be fun, but that we can also consider as data. So example of that, like in a nutrition program, we might ask youth uh, sort of as a mid-program challenge. So we've got the pre-program survey, the post-program survey, which would have include open and closed-ended questions. And then mid-program, maybe we're going to ask, create a recipe, you know, using some of the nutritional concepts that you've learned. And then they would submit that. And, um, you know, it's, it's sort of a fun and engaging challenge, but it also offers us qualitative feedback on how well they're integrating the learnings. Uh, so that's one example. And then we do ask for qualitative feedback post-program as well, often through surveys, a lot of times through focus groups or interviews as well. Um, and then we do get additional stakeholder feedback from people like families, from partner organizations who might reflect to us uh, things that we wouldn't be aware of and that we wouldn't see just through program evaluation. Like if we're partnering with an employment training, youth employment training organization, they sometimes will tell us that we're get, they're getting different and youth than they would access at their other locations or, or feedback like that. Um, like they will compare their employment outcomes at other locations to what they're seeing with the youth that they're serving at Launchpad uh, through the collaborative sport for development approach. So, you know, some real interesting feedback can come from, from stakeholders outside of the youth, but definitely our focus is on collecting high quality end user youth data um, mixed methods. That's really interesting how you take information from participants, express their benefits and challenges, as well as stakeholders and family members that might be able to uh, express how they think it may be beneficial to their family, maybe more so than the youth themselves can. So that's really interesting. Thank you. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and just what you said about, um, never having purely quantitative data. Yeah, I imagine like that's how you get really good feedback is through qualitative work, especially considering that every participant is so unique and they have, um, you know, different geographical context, so, uh, socioeconomic status, uh, even sexual orientation. Yeah, I was curious on how Launchpad might uh, work to meet the needs of each individual participant depending on their unique context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question. So we do, do serve youth from a variety of different backgrounds, uh, and we really try to avoid, I would say, making assumptions about our youth and just ask them stuff. <laughs> you know, people are always like, how do these youth want to be involved in this research project? How do we think we can engage them? Just ask them how they want to be involved. Just ask them how they would be like to be engaged in this research project, right? And they will tell you probably. So yeah, we just ask ourselves we ask ourselves how to best engage youth, and then we ask the youth how to best engage them. Um, so, you know, I go back to our Launchpad core values. Our number one core value is youth first always. So, you know, we always put the youth first. We put their needs first. We ask for that feedback, and then we listen to it. Um, so catering to a variety of participants, it looks a lot of different ways, but I think it just really starts with asking them what they need and what they want and how they want to be involved and then acknowledge and also respond to what's going on at the facility, in the community, in the world, like really make that a part of what we do. Um, and then also, I think it's important um, to consolidate our learnings on how to research sport for development during and after each of our major projects. So, you know, we did a longitudinal study from 2017 to 2020, where we were tracking some uh, outcomes over two years uh, with a, a whole bunch of youth. And um, we learned a lot from that context about how to make, um, how to engage youth in sport for development research, how to make it more accessible. So just yeah, being really intentional about pulling those learnings out from those types of projects. 
I imagine you can learn so much from youth that like practitioners just would never come up with when they think of programming. Um, we were recently talking about the virtual programming. I was wondering if you had any youth feedback on that, if you had any sense of how that was going for the participants. Yeah, so I mean, I'd say there are youth, uh, some youth love it and are very engaged, are attending uh, virtual programs multiple times a week. That's a small number, right? Like probably about 30 youth that are like very highly engaged. And that's out of a membership database of about 10,000, right? So not a ton of people. And then that doesn't include sort of our, uh, the plus sport programming, right? They're ready for work programs. They're ready for school programs. Think of those separately, but in terms of ongoing engagement in sport plus programs, like your typical kind of after school or weekend sport program, uh, it's a few youth that are engaging very heavily, which is interesting. I'd say most youth um, are struggling to to engage for different reasons, a lot to do with motivation or space, like I mentioned. Uh, to, and to address that, we have been playing with the delivery model and we've had some success there. You know, even if it's a youth who's not gonna start attending a virtual program every week on a registered basis, but it's gonna come to an event. So doing a lot of events so we can uh, make it fun and keep that engagement, keep the connection and the relationship without them having to show up at the same time every week for an hour and, you know, do sports in space that they don't have. Um, also tying, our virtual sport programming to other activities that youth would be doing anyway has been an important tactic during COVID. So we've done more school day programming where we're working with our local teachers and school boards to provide quality sport for development experience as part of the school day. Because we know youth are there anyway. We know they're not getting phys ed at school the way they need to. So we're helping, we're stepping into that space. Uh, even doing things like a watch party where you know we would expect that certain youth that we serve would be watching the Raptors game anyway. So we'll do a watch party and we'll have a physical activity component before at breaks after the game and also incorporate like conversations to get at some of the outcomes and life skills related outcomes that we're looking at and then another one that we did throughout covid was we called it the goat talks so that was um for young men in the 15 to 18 age group where a group of guys got together it was like late night on launchpad um they watched the michael jordan documentary um last dance together and then had conversations after that uh, so just kind of different ways of engaging that we wouldn't typically do uh, using a lot of games in program, getting a lot of debates going. We have a lot of youth with a lot of opinions and the opportunity to like debate a coach on an opinion is incredibly like it really does get folks to show up and get engaged um, and doing polls like even within program. Um, it's been harder to get youth to respond to surveys that we send out to them. So just dropping a poll in the program is a really great engagement tactic as well as a way to collect some data. Amazing that you're able to combine both things, um, you know, to be able to work with youth, engage with youth, hear their debates, their opinions, and then also be collecting data at the same time to support exactly what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Marika, you were actually specifically talking about playing with the delivery model a little bit. And it seems that uh, Launchpad is doing a phenomenal job at handling ongoing challenges and the practical implications of what's going on with the pandemic. Uh, you did specifically discuss discuss issues of confinement. Are there any other ongoing challenges that are remaining in regard to these programs? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think as we come back, it's been a real traumatic time for a lot of folks. So 
there and there hasn't we don't have a lot of evidence in terms of applying a trauma and violence informed approach in sport for development so determining really the best application of a trauma and violence informed approach in our context i think will be an interesting challenge like determining if that sort of theoretical framework and even fits with sport for development context i think there's a lot of work to be done there um i think also you know, with the increased focus the past couple, you know, year on equity, diversity, and inclusion, um, developing ways to really support positive racial identity and other EDI objectives through sport. Like again, that's an area where we don't have a lot of evidence in terms of what works. Um, and then I think there's still a need, and this is a tough one because it's, it's the kind of thing where, you know, do you really want to get into sort of longitudinal research before we reach sort of a steady state again in sport for development. Uh, but I think there's a lot of work longitudinally that needs to be done looking at life skills transference. Um, but I don't know if it would be possible to launch a study like that until we have sort of achieved some sort of, you know, new normal or whatever you want to call it. Um, and at least things aren't so up in the air anymore. Uh, and then I think also, you know, one that my team is really interested in, we work a lot on physical literacy. Like we see that as a life skill that's really foundational to a lot of other really positive outcomes. Uh, but, you know, the long-term athlete development model and a lot of, you know, the concept of physical literacy largely has not been really validated with different um, socioeconomic backgrounds or cultural backgrounds. So really looking, redefining the concept of physical literacy and really validating that concept uh, with people from different cultural and socioeconomic backgrounds that we serve uh, to figure out how can we better measure physical literacy and better uh, sort of work to achieve it um, without having to use a definition that isn't doesn't quite fit with our context. Right. I imagine it being difficult to kind of navigate what sport for development goals uh, you were trying to reach depending on the community. But um, I think it's amazing that you, you're talking to the communities and stakeholders and all the work that Launchpad is doing is quite phenomenal. Um, I'm interested also as well, you were talking about the trauma and violence informed sport. Is that something that you guys have already implemented in your sport for development programs? Or is that something you're looking to implement? So it's the kind of thing where we, you know, we started hearing about this, it started becoming a hot topic, probably like 2019, we really started hearing about like, oh, what is this trauma and violence informed physical activity? And so we were looking at different um, sort of guidebooks and things that we were seeing published, and we were doing a lot of the practices without sort of recognizing it as such. And I would say it's the same on the EDNI space. Like we've been doing a lot of anti-racist work in sports, just on nature of like who we are, how we think, what we care about, and um, how we approach our work, but without sort of calling it out as that. So it's just a matter of getting more explicit and more intentional and more rigorous about what we're doing and actually being able to test it as well or you know explore it through research really it sounds like a future direction potentially for launchpad where do you see future launchpad programs heading and will the shift to virtual programming continue or lessen with vaccine rollouts yeah, I mean, I think uh, exploring the trauma and violence informed approach is really going to be a focus. I think our, our focus on mental wellness is going to be really emphasized as we come back from the pandemic. Um, so that's one piece, like how can we better integrate mental wellness into all of our programming, not just have it sort of off in the counseling room where you can go if you're having a crisis. Um, so I think that, and then as well, integrating sort of positive cultural identity throughout our programming as well. So it's not just like, uh, you know, once a year or in a certain month, or, you know, if you happen to have a coach who likes to talk about culture, but it's just really built into how we do things and is part of our secrets, 
recognize as part of our, I, I gotta stop calling it our secret sauce because we're trying to tell people the ingredients to the sauce so that they can replicate it. So our special sauce <laughs> that like mental wellness and positive cultural identity can really become ingredients as a special sauce. Um, I think that some of our programs will continue virtually. Like I was talking about our ready for work programs. So some of those programs, you know, prior to COVID, we would have a cohort of 40 youth from across the GTA with some of them coming from Durham, Brampton, like hour and a half on various transit systems kind of thing. So I think ready for work programs have thrived in the virtual space. And that's something we would like to continue. We're able to serve more youth. Um, we're able to you know, provide different types of employment training uh, virtually. So we'll definitely probably continue with that. And some of our events as well, where we've been able to have a greater reach or even an international reach um, by doing the programming virtually, I think we will uh, keep that up for sure. But I certainly for most of our sort of uh, sport plus programming, we just can't wait to get back in person and, and really connect with the community once, you know, on the ground. Oh, and I'm sure the participants as well. There's nothing like being, you know, a sweaty kid with a bunch of other sweaty kids around you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. With the music and, you know, yeah, the squeaking and the bouncing. Oh, just can't, I can't wait to be there. And yeah, you're making me think of some data we collected recently. So we are looking at um, girls sport retention over the period of the pandemic. And we were quite, you know, really concerned, like 11 to 14 is a big time for drop off for girls in sport. And we thought with the pandemic and everything canceled, oh my gosh, you know, it's likely that we're going to lose a bunch of girls who they haven't done sport for a year. They're just going to say, you know, F it, I'm over it. Uh, but we're talking to these girls and they're telling us they cannot wait. They are going to be just there as soon as they can be there. So that's been sort of really positive uh, to hear. And I just hope very much that the reality will match what they told us in the interim. That's really exciting and great feedback like to hear from participants. I think it's also great that you're still going to continue offering some virtual programming for those, you know, who might not be able to um, reach that. And you were talking about your special sauce and these suggestions that you had for people uh, creating sport for development programming. I was wondering if you could uh, give us a brief overview again. I know you already touched on it, but what kind of special sauce would you kind of recommend to people attempting to continue providing sport for development programming yeah great question i mean i think just be creative just try things it's a uh, you know classic business advice fail fast right just do it if it doesn't work great move on next uh just don't fret try things and some of them are going to work and some of them aren't but at least you know you got to try make it fun uh, ask youth what they want to do and what would actually be fun for them because i have no idea what youth want to do these days uh, so ask them uh, and then i would say you know, given the current context, like it, it is a time where the economy is struggling, but I think it's also a great time to look for opportunities for growth and revenue. There are a lot of organizations, a lot of corporations that are looking to make, um, you know, charitable investments at this time that are re reconsidering their entire approach to corporate social responsibility. So I think there is a ton of opportunity there for sport for development organizations right now. Um, I think organizations need to get really clear about their priority demographics and really hold themselves accountable to who they intend to serve and who they're actually serving. Uh, just the, with the way that sport has impacted um, different demographics differently, it's, it's gonna require a lot of intentionality to ensure that the return to sport is equitable and create something more equitable than what we were seeing prior to COVID, right? Um, like if we're not very intentional about it, the return is not gonna support an equitable, uh, yeah, resumption of sport. So um, what else? 
I would say, you know, we talked a lot about research, but I encourage all sport for development organizations to use mixed methods, collect end user youth data uh, to learn more about the people that they serve. Um, I think right now it's really important for sport for development organizations also to make youth employment part of what they do. There's such a need there. Sport is an industry that has potential for growth coming out of the pandemic. So I think always building youth employment opportunities into what you're doing. And there's, you know, a lot of great funding and grant funding available to support that as well. Uh, it's just, it's such a great call for, on, for so many different reasons. Um, and then I think engage in advocacy, uh, you know, this, our sector needs to step into the equity, diversity, and inclusion space with both feet and not be scared uh, to make a mistake or to get something wrong, but just get in there, get wet, just start doing the work. Um, and I think we also need to prepare for what we're going to see coming back in terms of, um, you know, what's happened over the past few years and in terms of like this traumatic period of time for sport for development organizations need to be ready so that they're not caught off guard by the aftermath of this really traumatic period of time. Um, and they've got the supports and services and skills in place that they need to address those issues. Um, and then, you know, of course, I'm going to say my last piece, develop a theory of change, right? Like if a sport for development organization doesn't know where it's going and isn't really quite clear about what the ingredients are in that organization's special sauce, well, you're never gonna get a delicious burger, which is what we're all after, isn't it? Really? <laughs> yes, absolutely, Marika. Thank you so much for that. Um, and I think you are absolutely correct in the fact that given the socio-political climate, uh, it's more, uh, needed than ever for all organizations to take accountability. And yeah, I, I hope that uh, organizations continue to do that and provide that. So thank you. But like, like you said, there's so many silver linings to like the situation and, and hopefully we can latch on to them um, as it seems that Launchpad has been doing so well. If there's anyone listening that wants to learn more about Launchpad or get involved in any way, are there avenues for that? Yeah, definitely. So um, definitely check out our website, mlsclaunchpad.org. mlsclfoundation.org is also is the website of the MLSE Foundation, which is our sort of our fundraising arm and our granting arm. So uh, Sport for Development Organizations, grassroots orgs out there can look at our different funding opportunities that we have available through um, MLSC Foundation. Um, some of our past and current research, research projects are also profiled on the foundation website. So definitely check that out. And, you know, feel free to reach out through uh, info at mlsclaunchpad.org for more information. We're always looking for new academic collaborations. So if there are researchers or graduate students listening that, you know, are getting ideas for a collaborative research project, feel free to reach out. Um, we do have different volunteer opportunities available as well. You know, we have a youth advisory committee, a research advisory committee. Um, and uh, lots of different ways to get involved. So yeah, just uh, check us out. Don't be a stranger. Come to our Research to Practice Symposium in June, uh, which you can learn more about at our website. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll probably be reaching out again after that. So <laughs> um, yeah, so that's about it for the podcast. Again, we wanna thank you, Marika, for you know coming on and spending your time with us today. Um, we wanna thank uh, those of you listening in and taking your time to really tune in and stay tuned and there'll be another episode coming out in late may and thank you again for listening to the sports social justice and development podcast music for this podcast was provided by lobo loco and broke for free